1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. We're going to deviate from our series in 2 Peter for a week or two. Today I want to preach out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll read in just a few moments beginning in verse 18. I want to preach a message this morning. I I couldn't help but think, the title of the message I had this morning is Salvation or Stumbling Block. But I got to thinking after singing, you got the message up there? Uh, The title? Okay, that's good then, because I've changed that title. Uh, I got to thinking as we were singing those old hymns, patriotic hymns, and I got to thinking about when I was in New York City and, and I got to visit the Statue of Liberty. I was there right after 9-11. They sent a bunch of us firefighters from Oklahoma up there and we spent several weeks working there in New York City and I had the chance to see the Statue of Liberty. And I thought about all those people who had come from all over the world and that's what they identified with freedom in America was the Statue of Liberty. We know what? As Christians, you and I, we have a Statue of Liberty as well. Amen? The Statue of Liberty that we have that that reminds us of the freedom that we have from sin. That reminds us of what was paid for that freedom. Our Statue of Liberty is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, for many folks, uh, the cross is a stumbling block. So it's one of two choices. The cross of Jesus Christ is either, it either means salvation to you, freedom, or it's a stumbling block. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me pray and we'll get started. Father, today open our hearts and minds. Give me the strength that I need uh, physically, the strength of voice, the strength of body, the clarity of mind. I pray that you would speak to us the truths that we need to hear from your word. Father, we praise you that we do have a, a, a symbol and a statue of liberty, and it's the cross. And I thank you that, Father, it's not the cross that brings salvation, but Christ upon the cross. And when we understand that, the cross becomes that liberty, that, that freedom for us instead of a stumbling block. I pray that would be made clear to our hearts today. In Christ's name, amen. I was reading a story the other day. There's a cemetery in Little Rock, Arkansas. Years ago, thieves broke into the cemetery and they stole a 14-foot bronze cross, which had been donated to that cemetery by Catholic many years ago, back in the 1930s. And, and you know what? i got to think, how low on the road of depravity do you have to be to steal a cross out of a cemetery? But they broke in and stole this cross. Now, at the time, uh, the value, it was a beautiful work of art. It was valued at $10,000. Now, the detectives who were investigating this crime, they believed that what happened is they backed a pickup truck into the cemetery. They took a torch, cut the base of the, the cross, the statue, and then just loaded that 900-pound cross in the back of a truck, hauled it off, cut it into small pieces, and sold it for scrap metal. And they probably got about $500 for the scrap metal. They had no idea. Those thieves had no idea that that beautiful work of art was so valuable. And they had no idea the value of that cross. Well, let me say something from a deeper and a spiritual point. Folks, that has always been the problem with people. They do not understand the true value of the cross. 
The message of the cross of Jesus Christ has been misunderstood and minimized. It's been rejected in every generation. The gospel message, the message of the cross, is offensive to a lost world. It makes little sense to a lost world. You say they reason like this, that from their perspective, it's contrary to human reasoning. Now, it's sad, but tragically true, folks. There are a lot of denominations, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors so-called preachers and people who have tried to soften the message of the cross so it would be more acceptable to a lost world. We have witnessed that in our country. We're witnessing it right now. People, what they want to do is make the gospel message a little more uh, tolerable, I guess I would say, to the crowds, to the lost world. Now, let me explain something to you. The tactic of watering down the gospel, that's not something new. That's not something that's just happened in the 20th and 21st century. That happened back in Paul's day. That was the church of Corinth. Now, remember, that was a church that Paul, he had a somewhat uh, stormy or tumultuous relationship with the church in Corinth. What they did, they minimized the message of the cross by softening the message, and they forced it to fit into their culture. Sounds a whole lot like today, doesn't it? They tried to tweak the content of the message so that the story of Jesus Christ and the story of the cross would be more appealing, more acceptable to the world around them. Now, let's be honest. I believe that people then, a lot like people today, they didn't care that much about the message being acceptable. They were more concerned about themselves being acceptable with the world around them. The problem we face as believers is the very nature of the message of the cross is offensive. I mean, if we share the fact of salvation, that salvation only comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there's no other way to heaven, people are offended by that. If we tell someone and share the truth that no matter how good they are, no matter how good they think they are, no matter how good other people may think they are, a person cannot earn their way into heaven and they don't even deserve heaven. When we tell somebody that, they get offended. But here's the rub, believer. And I'm talking about all of us, but I'm going to point the finger at me. If I, as a preacher of the Word of God. Do not share the message, but I choose to change or alter this message in some way so as not to offend people, then what I have done, I have offended God and my Savior who came and died for me. And also, according to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, I am accursed because I have preached a false gospel. The message of the cross is the most important message we have. It's the only message we have for a world engulfed in sin. Understand, Christian, the message of the cross, that is the very heart of the gospel. If you remove the offense of the cross, then you've ripped out the heart of the gospel. And it ceases to be a message of hope and a message of good news. Today, I want us to learn a few truths, just three or four. Uh, folks, uh, in this message of the cross that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 1. And I, my hope and prayer is as a pastor that we as believers, we would say with the Apostle Paul, look at verse 2 of chapter 2. You got your Bible open to 1 Corinthians? Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. Notice what Paul says. He says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the message we give to a lost world. Look with me, and I'll start reading verse 18. 
And I'm coughing, but it's not the virus. It's dust. It's the Sahara Desert. All right, I'm a pretty lengthy reading. Let's start in verse 18. Many of you know this passage. And I'm reading out of the NASB. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And then Paul kind of, in a, in, in a, you read this in a uh, sarcastic way. He asked the question to the church at Corinth. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Look at verse 22. For indeed, Jew, uh, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to to the Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are. Verse 29. So that no man may boast before God. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. You may want to underline that. By His doing, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So, now look at verse 31. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. You're a Christian. That is a powerful passage of Scripture. There's a whole lot there. You say, you're going to cover all that today, preacher? Do you want to get out here before 8 o'clock tonight? Then, no, I can't cover all of it. But I'm going to pull some of these truths out for you. And the first truth that I want you to see is the cross is our only hope of salvation. Number one. Now, you will not find salvation anywhere or in anyone else. Look again at verse 18. Paul says that the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now, when Paul uses the phrase, word of the cross, what does that mean? What is he talking about? Well, understand, that phrase, word of the cross, it encapsulates, it embodies the entire message of the gospel. You see, folks, it points toward the incarnation of Christ. The fact, the way Paul words it, the fact that the word and wisdom of God took on human flesh and was born of a virgin so he could identify with each and every one of us. It also, folks, it includes his perfect life. The perfect sinless life that Jesus lived that made him an acceptable sacrifice for sin. A sacrifice without spot and without blemish. But also it points to the deity of Christ. Now I preached on this many times. You've heard me talk about it. It's important because if Jesus were nothing more than a man, even a perfect man, he could not have paid the sin debt for the entire world for all time. It would have been impossible. Only an infinite being, only God Himself could pay such an infinite price. 
Also, the word of the cross definitely includes His death. A death that should have been ours. A death that you and I owed. But Jesus, He took that death. He paid that price on our behalf. Now, the word of the cross, think about this. The true gospel, it not only tells us about Jesus, it tells us something about ourselves. You say, what does it tell us about ourselves? Well, to me, and I think if you'll think about it, you'll see it as well. The cross, friend, it points to our sinfulness. It points to our inability to make atonement for our sin. It tells us, if it was up to us, we would be eternally, eternally lost and without hope. It also tells us of His miraculous resurrection, His glorious ascension, His reign, and His promise to return. Understand, church, apart from the word of the cross, there is no salvation. Do you realize the word of the cross is God's first and last word on salvation? It's God's first word because the Bible tells us in the book of the Revelation that Jesus Christ, the Lamb, in the heart of God was slain before the foundation of the world. And also it's God's last word because it's at the cross where God has finally and forever provided a way for people to be saved. Now here's what I want you to know. If you're listening to me here sitting in this auditorium or if you're listening to me on Facebook or or later on or today, whenever it may be, I want you to hear me and hear me well. If you want peace with God, you cannot bypass the cross. Friend, if you want forgiveness of sins and removal of guilt, you cannot bypass the cross of Jesus Christ. If you want eternal life and the right to spend eternity in heaven with God, you cannot bypass the cross. There is no other way. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. No one comes. To the Father except through me, he says. Acts 4.12, salvation is in no one else. The Bible tells us in Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Apart from the cross and Christ upon the cross, there is no salvation. There is no other solution to man's greatest problem. Let me read you something I read the other day in a sermon from another preacher. The late uh, Robert Weber, Dr. Robert Weber, told a story one time of flying from San Francisco to L.A. And he was seated uh, there next to the window and reading a Christian book. And the man sitting next to him, obviously of Asian descent, and the man was wearing the, the robes of a Buddhist priest. He leaned over to him and said, excuse me, sir, are you a religious man? Dr. Weber said, well, as a matter of fact, yes, I am. The monk said, well, I am too. And they began to talk about religion and faith. And in the middle of their conversation, Dr. Weber said, can I ask you a question? The man said, certainly. He said, I would like to ask you, can you give a one-liner that captures the essence of your faith? The monk said, of course. We're all part of the problem and we're all part of the solution. Doesn't that sound a lot like what people are saying today? Dr. Weber said that they began to discuss that statement for a little while, and then he asked the man. He said, would you like me to share with you a one-liner that captures the Christian faith? The monk said, absolutely, I would like to know. Dr. Weber said, well, I agree with your first part. We are all part of the problem, but there's only one man who's the solution, and that man is Jesus Christ. There's only one answer to man's greatest problem, and that's Jesus. Jesus Christ, look at verse 24. Paul makes it clear, Jesus Christ, He's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now understand me, folks, we need the wisdom of God to know what's right. We need the power of God to do what's right. 
And Jesus is both. He alone is the answer to the sole source of salvation. Now to those of us, Paul says, who are being saved, this is a wonderful message. Amen? It's a message that's filled with grace. It's a message that's, that's filled and tells the story of salvation. But to those who reject Christ, to those who reject the word of the cross, it's anything but good news. Because then, if you reject it, it's not a story of salvation, it's a story of judgment. Those who do not believe, Paul says, they're already perishing. Now, this is not something that's going to happen, but it's something that is happening, if you notice the wording Paul uses. People who reject Jesus Christ, they are daily perishing. They live every day, every moment of their lives under the judgment, under God's judgment of sin. And one day, friend, they're going to experience God's full wrath against their sin. Jesus said Himself in John 3, beginning verse 16, a passage I'm sure everybody knows. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And he who believes in the Son is not judged. But he who believes not is judged already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God. If you refuse the word of the cross, refuse the gospel, you're perishing right now at this very moment. Listen, friend, there's only one way, and there's no way around that one way. And you don't know, think about this. The cross of Jesus is the great divide. People will either accept it or they're going to reject it. Now, there's only two types of people mentioned in our passive scripture we read. You say, wait a minute, preacher. Nope. It talks about the, the Greeks. It talks about the Jews. You know, there are Gentiles. There are only two types of people when you really get down to it. Those who believe and those who don't. Those who are saved and those who are lost. Those who are bound for heaven and those who are destined to hell. There's a story told by, it used to be told by the old mountain preacher Vance Havner. He talked about a bus that had all types of people on it. There were, were black people and white people and Mexican people and Russian people and African people, Asian people and everybody in between. He said there was rich people and poor people. There were educated people, uneducated people. He said there were those who were religious and those who were not religious. He said, now that bus on way to its destination crashed and everybody aboard that bus died. Every one of those people, regardless of their race, regardless of their nationality, their intellect, they had to stand before God. And in that moment before God, there were only two classes of people. There were those who were saved and, <coughs> excuse me, and those who were lost. There were those who have generally placed their faith and trust in Christ and those who refused to believe and repent. Only two types. Now get this from your head down into your heart. At the moment you stand before God, the only thing that's going to matter is the message of the cross. Have you believed it or not? That's not something people want to hear. That's not something that, that, that many want to preach and share. It's a message that brings all kinds of reactions from people. Have you noticed, uh, Christian, you can, you can talk to people about religion. You can talk to them about faith. You can talk to them about spiritual topics. But if you talk about the cross, you're going to get a whole lot of different reactions, various opinions, and passionate responses. The cross of Jesus Christ is definitely the dividing place. The cross is our only hope of salvation, but I want you to look with me at verse 20. Let's read this again. The cross is offensive and foolish to many. 
Let's start reading verse 20. All again, he says, where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews asked for signs and Greeks searched for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The world does not understand the message of the cross. To them... It's foolishness. It was in Paul's day. It is in our day. Human wisdom can never grasp the divine rationale of the cross. And let me say this. Human pride will never allow us to grasp the necessity of the cross. Christian, do you realize whenever the message of the cross, whenever the gospel is preached (coughs) or presented, there's always a decision that must be made? Whether there's an open invitation or not, there's a decision that's made in a person's heart. There's always a response. There has to be because there's no neutrality when it comes to the gospel. You either accept it or not. You either believe it or not. And these verses, Paul, I believe, gives a couple of groups of people that are representative of an unbelieving society. First, he talks about the Jews. It's a stumbling block. The gospel to them is a stumbling block. You see, here's the thing. The Jews, they weren't looking for a suffering Savior, and they were definitely not prepared for a Messiah to be crucified. The Jews, they were looking for a Messiah who would come in great might and power, not come born in a manger. They were looking for a soldier Messiah, one who would hold the sword, not wear a crown of thorns. Now, all throughout the history of the Old Testament, it's filled with miracle stories, miraculous stories of God's deliverance. I mean, it's filled with story after story highlighting the power of God. It's filled with people that God used to accomplish His task. And the Messiah was supposed to be greater than the sum total of all those Old Testament heroes. And He was and is. They just didn't realize it. They didn't understand it. It was a stumbling block. They were looking for great power, for signs. They stumbled, Paul says, over the weakness and the divine simplicity of the cross. They looked at it like a lot of folks look today. How can anybody put their faith in a carpenter from Nazareth who died a shameful death, the death of a criminal on the cross? So to the Jews, the word of the cross, the gospel was a stumbling block. Now to the Greeks, to the Romans, to the Gentiles, understand in Paul's day there was really only two classes of people, Jews and everybody else. So to the Gentiles, the Romans, the Greeks... It was laughable. To them, the cross, the message of the gospel is foolish. To the Romans, death by crucifixion was a death that was reserved for the most unworthy and the most lowly of criminals. It was, it was not only an excruciatingly painful death, but it was one of great shame, great humiliations. Now, think about this. The Greeks, they knew stories. They worshipped their gods who died but their God's deaths were violent, or they were, were deaths that were in battle. They were honorable deaths. So to the Greek, to think that the Son of God would ever lower Himself and die in the most embarrassing, disgraceful way was an absolute absurdity. They were too smart for their own good, like a lot of folks today. 
to their enlightened mind, and the same thing is true today. To those who are enlightened today, only a fool would believe salvation would come through a crucified Savior. People still struggle with the cross. Folks, not just the idea of needing a Savior, but they struggle with the way a Savior came and died. They struggle with that. They can't grasp it. Many of you know the name Richard Dawkins. How many of you heard that name before? Richard Dawkins, who, let's face it, uh, even though he's an atheist, he's an evolutionist, he's a pretty smart feller. I mean, he's not smart enough. He's not as smart as the youngest kid in here, by no means, because they're smart enough to understand Jesus died for my sins on the cross. He can't grasp that. But let me share something with you. Now, this brilliant man, according to world standards, uh, an outspoken atheist, Oxford professor and author, he wrote the book, The God Delusion, and he also said this. He said, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. He's pretty hardcore about it. Now, he was asked to sit at a debate. Time magazine asked him and another uh, scientist, a world-renowned Francis Collins, a Christian scientist, a physician, and a geneticist, to sit down and debate the idea of God and science. Well, when the debate ended, this was Dawkins' conclusion. He said, my mind is not closed to the idea of God. My mind's open to the most wonderful range of future possibilities, which I cannot even dream about, nor can anyone else. What I am skeptical about is this idea that whatever wonderful revelation that does come in the science of the future, it will not be one of the particular historical religions that people have dreamed up. He's talking about Christianity, and predominantly with others as well. When the debate started, we were talking about creation and the physical constants. I provided what I thought were clear arguments against a supernatural intelligent designer. But it does seem to me to be a worthy idea. Refutable, but nevertheless grand and big enough to be worthy of respect. Talking about creation of the universe. That's worthy of respect. He goes on and says, however, speaking about Christianity, I do not see Jesus coming down and dying on a cross as worthy of that type of grandeur. That strikes me as being narrow-minded. If there is a God, it's going to be a whole lot bigger than anything any religion has ever proposed. To put it in simple terms, he said, in other words, the gospel is just too simple. It's just too simple. I want you to listen to what Sir Alfred Ayer, Oxford philosopher, said. He said, among religions of great historical importance, Christianity was the worst because it rests on the allied doctrine of original sin and vicarious atonement. Then listen, which are intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. It's just too simple. It's too simple. Now I want you to listen to what John MacArthur says. He says, yes, if you think about the gospel, you think about the cross from a purely human perspective, it is ludicrous. How can Jesus being nailed to a piece of lumber on a remote hill in a barren part of the world ages ago affect and determine the destiny of every human being for all time? Then he says, the reason man, and I, I, I agree with this wholeheartedly, the reason man does not accept the cross is because in order to accept the cross, he also has to accept his own sin, his own shortcomings, and his inability to do anything about them. Friend, listen, the cross does not leave room for man's goodness, for man's worthiness, or for man's achievement. The cross, <coughs> it does not leave room for pride. 
The cross is not a place for prideful men who have it all together, friend. The cross is a place for those who have been broken by the weight of their sin and those who have humbled themselves and been humbled in the presence of a holy and a righteous God. I have a question of the cross. And I have a question for all the world. Not just for our church today. But for all the intellectuals and those that may be listening to me on Facebook. Got a question for you. If the cross of Jesus Christ, if the gospel, if Jesus Christ is not the answer for what's ailing this world, then somebody please tell me what is. Again, Paul somewhat sarcastically asked the church at Corinth. He said, those of you minimizing the cross, if you're so smart, if the cross is not the, not the answer, then tell me what is the answer. So I ask it again. If Jesus is not the answer to this world's greatest need, then who is? Or what is? I mean, where are all the smart people in this world? Where are all the intellectual people who have all the answers for the degradation and the crumbling of our society? Where are they at? I mean, folks, really, how much closer? Look at it like this. How much closer is humanity to having worldwide peace today than we were a hundred years ago? How much closer are we today than we were a thousand years ago? How much closer today are we to, to ha- you know, having uh, the ability, and we have that ability, but how much closer are we to eliminating things like poverty and hunger and ignorance and crime and prejudice and morality and lawlessness? How much closer are we to doing that today than they were in Paul's day? We're not. John MacArthur, again to quote him, he said, we have access to more information than our forefathers, but we are not near as moral. We have more and better means for helping one another, but we are not less selfish. We are more selfish. We have more and better means of communication, but we understand each other less. We have more psychology, philosophy, education, and yet have more crime, war, and hate than ever before. We have not changed. We have only gotten better at finding new ways to express and excuse our sinful human nature. Throughout history... Human wisdom has not changed. It has never solved the basic problem of man. Because the basic problem with man is not on the outside of him, but the inside of him. Man's basic problem is sin. Friend, listen. When we rely on man's wisdom, man's ingenuity, you know what happens? The world, it not only fails, but the world drifts even farther away from God. The only hope we have in a, is in a message that the world deems foolish or weak. I'm going to remind you what Paul said. If there is any such thing as foolishness with God, God's foolishness is still wiser than the wisdom of men. If there's any such thing as weakness with God, God's weakness is still mightier than the combined strength of all humanity. The cross is our only hope of salvation. The cross is an offense and foolish to many. But the third thing I want you to see, the cross is open to all people. Now, if God has sent Christ in great pageantry and pomp, you know, with great power and signs like the Jews wanted, then nobody would have doubted. Everybody would have believed and everybody would have bowed before Him. They would have worshipped. But they wouldn't have worshipped Him out of love. It wouldn't have been out of a sense of loyalty. It wouldn't have been out of joy or gratitude or thanksgiving. Not a sense of awe and majesty of God. People would have humbled themselves before Him out of a sense of fear. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, for those people, whether then or now, if they're forced to honor God and serve God out of fear, when they hate God in their hearts, that would be hell in and of itself. God doesn't want servants to mindlessly serve Him out of compulsion. He wants children to whom He can pour His grace, His love, His mercy, His goodness, and glory onto, and who will willingly reflect that goodness, grace, love, and glory back to Him. And think about this. I'm so thankful. If God had made salvation attainable through human wisdom and effort, then those of you who are like me, who are not real swift-minded, we'd have never made it. I mean, where would we be? I'm so thankful God didn't put it that way. If God had made salvation based on morality, then those who have a propensity to weakness, I think that's all of us, in one area or another, we would never make it. But in true wisdom, God provided a way that all may come regardless of power, prestige, position, or ability. That's what Paul's getting at. When he says God used the weak thing, the cross, to provide a way for all people to have salvation and have eternal life. I'm not saying all people will, but God provided the way for all. And I'm so thankful that God did not use a king, but used a carpenter from Galilee. I'm thankful that, that God didn't use a warrior, but a lamb. He didn't choose society's upper crust to carry His message He chose the common people, people like you and people like me. I'm so thankful Christ didn't come to dine with royalty and to pass legislation. He ate with sinners. He didn't come the first time to wear a crown of gold, but a crown laced with thorns. Friend, He didn't come to walk the steps of a royal palace, but He came and walked a dusty path to a place of execution called Calvary. He didn't. Raise his hand in some kind of political victory. Oh no, friend, he bowed his head in submission and death. Jesus, he didn't come and attack the Roman garrison, the Roman guards with a host of soldiers, but he did lead a host of captives free from sin. I want to close by reading you something that a a pastor had written some time ago. It's a little poem. Maybe you've heard it before. Understand the cross. Our only hope is salvation. The cross is a stumbling block. It's foolish to many. The cross, the gospel message, it's open to all people. And since it's open to all people, since it's the only message that provides salvation, it's one that ought to be shared. Amen? It's one that needs to be shared with our world. I want you to listen to this little poem. It says, A little boy with his face stained with tears began tugging at my knee. And in between his sobs and sighs, this is what he said to me. Mister, have you seen a little kitten? One that's tabby and gray. His name is Scruffy. And I don't know why, but he just upped and run away. I've been looking for Scruffy all morning, but now I don't know which way to go. And it's already past time for me to be home, and I know my mama is worried. So, Between his sobs, I heard him say, if these buildings weren't so tall, I might not even be lost. Because where I live, there's a church nearby, and on the top of that church is a great big cross. Then when I put him upon my shoulders, he shouted, I can see the cross from here. 
Then he said softly, sir, if you'll just take me to the cross, I can make it home from there. My prayer today is some of you here in this congregation, some of you listening to me on Facebook, my prayer is you'll find your way home. The old song makes it clear the way of the cross leads home. There's no other way but this. In a world that's crumbling all around us, and people want to know what's the answers. What's the answers? The solution and the answer is Jesus Christ. There is nothing else. The message of the cross needs to be heard. Now, Christian, I want you to remember the word of the cross, the gospel, it may be foolishness to those that are lost and perishing, but to us it's the power of God unto salvation. It is the message, Christian, that the world needs to hear today. Do you bow your heads, please? With every head bowed in a moment, we'll have a time of invitation. If you feel that God has impressed upon your heart to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to accept that gift of grace that He offers, then by all means, you need to do so. I'll be right down front. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a Christian. In your heart, you know you are. In your heart, you know that, that, that God called you. That God poured His grace and love upon you. Well, are you sharing the message of the cross? Are you sharing the word of the cross and the gospel with those around you? If not, why not? I don't know if you've been paying attention. Our world's in bad shape. Our hope is Jesus Christ. Others need to hear about that hope. Father, I pray for those this morning that need to make a decision. I pray they would do so. I pray if it's to surrender their life <clears throat> to Jesus Christ and establish that relationship with you, I pray they'd do so. Father, I pray for those who have been reluctant to share the gospel with a lost world for fear. I pray you'd burden their heart to understand we don't have a right to, be, to have fear. We don't have a right to be cautious. Time is short. Father, you've called us to be lights in this dark world. I pray we'd be about your business of doing that. Father, impress upon us. It's, it's not just about attending church or, or donating money or, or giving our tithes and offerings or, or serving. It's about sharing the gospel, the word of the cross with others. I pray for those today who are not doing that, who are your children, they'd have a conviction to start. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please?